All right, if you will, open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. And we are continuing this morning our study on angels. A couple of weeks ago, we started it, and we started looking at the doctrine of angels. And get there, 1 Peter, chapter 5. There are sermon notes also in the bulletin. And so we started looking at angels, and we recognize there are good angels and there are bad angels. And last week we started the doctrine of understanding the bad angels when ultimately the arch, the, arch, um, the top bad devil, uh, the bad demon, the devil, Satan. And we looked at Ezekiel 28. And we recognize that he is a very powerful being. And as I even just prayed, someone that you need to respect, not fear in the sense of honoring him, but to recognize he is not to be trivialized. This is something that is serious. And so one pastor said, when Satan sinned, he was cast out of his position in heaven. His rebellion also brought about the fall of other angels as well. Revelation 12, 14 indicates that a third of the angels joined Satan in his rebellion. These fallen angels are now called demons. There is one devil, Satan, but many demons. Demon as a created being cannot be everywhere at one time like God. His demons, though, work for him and carry out his plans. Demons are in line with Satan, and he is their leader. His power and his influence are great. 1 John 5, 19 1 John 5.19 states, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He is called in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age. Satan and his demons are actively involved in promoting a world system that opposes the plans of God. We must be aware of what he's all about. And last week I showed you a slideshow. Some of you asked for it. I sent it out. I've got a second one. We're going to build on this. So if someone can get me the lights... Brief study of Satan, part two. He is called, oh, I'll read it. I don't know if how well you can see. First Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. God calls him a roaring lion. You would never place yourself in a, cage with a lion you would never put yourself in any situation where you were just hanging with a lion and not be aware sensitive of what that lion can do we said last week that he's a fallen angel not all angels are guardian angels remember psalm 91 just the first three slides will repeat his names reveal his character and what i wanted to remind you today is of just two things in John chapter 8, he is called the father of lies. In Ephesians 2, he's the prince of the power of the air. And Ephesians talks about how we were held in his bondage. We were controlled by him. I think as we talk about salvation and what's happened to us, we must remember that we were of his same character. And that humility, that humility is that which causes us to cry out to Christ when a child is born, as David says, in iniquity I was conceived. And it wasn't his parents were 
doing something improper. It was the fact that when a child is born, they're born into sin. And it's hard for us to grasp, but hard for us to look at the reality of even a cute little brand new baby is born into sin. And, and, and to, unless the Spirit of God comes upon any, anyone, they will stay with their father. Because it is only by God's grace, unless one is born again, do the blinders come off. And they turn and recognize that they are a sinner in need of Jesus Christ. It is all because of Christ. There is no good works that we could do to save ourselves because the penalty isn't good works. The penalty is death. It's amazing that Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but it's by grace that we were made alive. All of us on this Lord's Day, we should just constantly be thankful for the reality of what we have in Christ. If anybody doesn't grasp the reality of our great need to constantly be thanking God and appreciating Him, there was no goodness in us at all. But by what Jesus did for us, he provides our merit. He provides our goodness. And he breaks the bonds of the adversary, the devil. And you should be so thankful for what Jesus did on a daily basis. That is why you don't want to participate in sin. You don't want to actively do the things that you used to do. You can mess up. You can confess. But we are people who understand all our merit is because of Jesus Today, what I want to talk about just briefly is the top lives of Satan. Because I was at that conference, now, I didn't have time to give all the verses on the screen. Listen, I can, I'm going to give you verses where his lies come from. But he is, as the child little rhyme goes, liar, liar, pants on fire. As John 8 said, he is the father of lies. And as Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, you are of your father. And they promote that lie, the lies that he promotes. Satan is a liar. Lie number one, you won't die if you disobey God. And you can put it as in some point, like there's no consequences if you disobey God. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan, we know from Revelation 12, took the influence of the serpent and told Eve, you shall surely not die if you eat from the fruit that God told them not to eat. You shall not die. That is a lie, and the ramifications are mind-numbing because w w sin brings death and devastation. This is the best picture I can get on the, uh, on the <laughs> went with a bad beginning date, but I figured I could live with it. Listen to me. Everyone lies. Here lies everyone. Everybody dies. And, and I could have shown all kinds of pictures of death and devastation, Broken families, broken homes, broken dreams, broken lives. Everything that happened, Satan knew what he was taking Eve into. He knew what he was doing when he said, surely you will not die. And we must continue to warn people, if you disobey God, there are consequences. You have disobeyed God. You, if you have not turned to Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. And death, we know, is not just a physical, but it's a spiritual. The wages of sin is death. It is a physical as well as a spiritual damnation that comes because you disobey God. And unless you grasp the significance of how ugly and how horrific sin is, sometimes you should take a piece 
of fruit, one piece of fruit, and say to yourself, as I eat this fruit, this was enough to send the world to hell? Because our God is that holy and God is that righteous. And God says, doing one little thing that I don't want you to do is worthy of judgment that we have got to understand. Whoa, who is this God? And Satan wants us to think that it is inconsequential. You can do whatever you want. Some of you need to grasp your heart and ask yourself, what are you doing? Challenge yourself. Sin is not to be trivialized. Satan lies and says, hey, you just, you told this lie. You got into this sexual sin. You told this little white lie. You did this, you did that. And no consequences came bursting down upon you. The reality of it is, God does not let his children get away with any sin. And let me tell you, there are consequences. Hebrews chapter 12 for the believer. That God's discipline. This world has to understand sin brings death and devastation. Please, please don't buy into Satan's lie that if you disobey God, there are no consequences. The second lie is that you will be like God. Here's a book. I can't believe somebody uh, wrote a book, How to Think Like a God, and his books go into How to Be Like a God. But we know, we know when, when Satan told Eve in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, God knows that day you eat from the fruit of the tree, you will be, what, like God, that this is an ongoing theme throughout the scriptures. So much so that it culminates 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when the Antichrist gets into the temple, he declares himself to be God. The passage that we're going to study in a little bit will show that Satan believed that he could become God. It's incomprehensible. The, the consequences of this, you really can't control your own world, let alone your own life. I thought it was a great picture. This, you know, I thought I'll use some of Atlas Shrug pictures or something along those lines, but the reality of it is, when I think in my own generation, as I used to watch pictures, it was really prevalent. Was it in the 90s, early 2000s? I can't remember now. Shirley MacLaine, who was a New Ager actress, believed that she was reincarnated, believed she is reincarnated, stood on a beach, and there's a film, I think you can even see on YouTube, you can go on the YouTube on the internet, and you can see a picture of her on, a, I think, the beach out in California going, I am a God, I am a God, I am a God, and it's amazing God didn't strike her down. The foolishness of this reality of it is it plays out in the off, often. In, I can control my world. I'm in charge. I know how to do things. I can make decisions for myself. But the reality of it is, Shirley MacLaine, there are people on the other side of the city, let alone the other side of the world. You have no idea what they're doing. How could you so foolishly think that you're a God? How could anybody think that they know more than God? I know how to live. I know the way things ought to be. I know the way salvation ought to be. You can, can't control your own life. You start to think that you're God. God will quickly humble you and show you within, I believe, a very short time. You cannot control your life. Third, worship other gods. This image This is an image that illustrated the Hindu belief that each part of the cow embodies a particular deity. I use this, could have used many different idols and different pictures and different religious systems. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Satan wants us to worship other gods. When Jesus is being tempted in the garden, I mean, uh, when Jesus is being tempted, 
in the wilderness. Satan says, you know, bow down and what? Worship me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says that Satan appears as an angel of light and his demons, his, his servants, also appear as agents of light, angels of light, in the sense that all the different idols and false religious systems are all a system of Satan's worship other gods. And, and, and the idea is when you do that, false worship brings no help. And I kept thinking this week of the, the passages in Isaiah, I think it's 41, 42, where you know, people make um, their own idols, and they carve them out of stone, they carve them out of wood, and, you know, sometimes just take a big rock. This is called, the, I think it's called the balance rock. But think about it. Take a stick, take a rock, take whatever, and say, rock, help me. And maybe, maybe take a little pencil and picture, put, put a little face on that and say, you're my God, you're my God. You know, little rock, little stick, and I worship you, and I want your help. The reality is false worship. There are no other gods besides our God. And, and, the, the, and they will bring no help. You can look at a rock and scream at a rock. It's never going to help you. But worse than that, false worship ultimately brings God's judgment and the anguish of everyone from following the wrong God comes to anguish on this earth as well as in eternal hell. And the flames of, of hell are real. As much as we would like to discount them and pretend that they don't exist, they are real. Number four, Satan says love stuff over God. When, think about the temptation. Matthew chapter four, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, Satan takes him to the top of the temple and says, look, here's all the kingdoms of the earth. Now he says he wants them to worship him, but he lays out all the stuff that Jesus could have for all eternity if he will worship him. And we know that God tells us in 1 John chapter um, two, do not love the world nor the things of the world. For the love of the world, it's what? Not of the Father. It's who? It's of the world. It's of Satan's, his system. And, I, and again, I could have put all kinds of different stuff here. Things, gold, money, jewelry, power, whatever. I didn't have that much time, so I just took one picture from, of things. And here, this is a TV show. I, uh, this, uh, I didn't even know this was a TV show in England. It's called Beautiful People. All right? And we, people love people. They love stuff. You know? But the reality of it is, stuff never brings lasting joy. It rusts and breaks down, right? Right? All of our stuff does. And then this is a famous painting from the 1800s. It's called Disappointment. I don't know how disappointed she is, but I thought I'd give it to you because it was on Wikipedia. <laughs> okay? So the re people disappoint. People die. If you, find, if you find your soulmate, if you find the most wonderful person in the world, and you trust in them, you love them, and you have, great, you have a great relationship, is <laughs> that the worst they're going to die and leave you one day. If you, if you don't die first, nothing stays. Nothing brings lasting joy. Your joy must be found in Jesus Christ. That's what God wants us to have. Fifth, all roads lead to heaven. Again, 2 Corinthians 11, Satan appears as an angel of light. His demons work as angels of light. Angels of light are representative of religious world systems. All roads lead to heaven. We hear that over and over and over. But the reality is, if you do that, it will only lead you lost, confused, and hurt. Because wrong thinking leads to wrong living. I preach it, I communicate it, and I tell you over and over and over and over. Wrong, right thinking leads to right living. You go down God's way, you can be blessed. There is that reality. 
and, and, and we're talking even in the fact that if you face death, you would have an inner joy, okay? But if you do not turn to God and repent of your sins and become born again, and you go down the wrong path, and you think that you can earn your salvation, or you can think that some rock or some stick is your God, the reality of it is it will bring you to a point where your life will be harmed. Those are top five lies. We're going to pick up more next week. Someone get me the lights. Turn in your Bible now to, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14. Because we want to study, we want to understand Satan. And, and I want you to understand his pride. Fill in the blank. If we understand that he is someone that is powerful, that he is somebody that is dangerous, he is somebody that is also prideful. And, and you know, as you're turning there, I just got to tell you, with the all roads lead to heaven, we must be so spiritually alert, so much aware of where our world is going. As we're watching constantly the, 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 the um, promotion that all religions are the same, it really doesn't matter about faith alone and Christ alone. You all need to be aware. You know, we talk about the Reformation and sometimes think, well, wouldn't it have been exciting to be alive during a time like that? Well, yes and no, it would have been, would be, but the, I, April 8th, you should mark this down. It's one of the most historic dates. I, a lot of people have missed it. April 8th, 2016, last Friday, the person in the Vatican came out with an announcement. That announcement was a, was a statement primarily about how the, they need to start treating divorced people and gay people within the church and how they're going to be dealing with it. But at the end, at the end of his message, he basically said, let me get this. Okay, this is the two, April 8, 2016 papal announcement. No one can be condemned forever because that is not the logic of the gospel. And you need to understand this, that statement is saying nobody goes to hell forever. Do you understand that was just thrown in at the end, but it is so significant. We are living in such incredible times, people. Incredible times. Isaiah 14, if you're turned there already, is a passage that is a passage where similar to what we saw with Babylon... I mean, with um, Tyre, with Tyre, we're going to see now with Babylon. And if you weren't with us, there are two passages that give us insight into who Satan is better than perhaps any other passage in the scripture. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. And in each passage, God is looking at an earthly ruler, but sees the one that's holding the puppet strings behind the earthly ruler. And that is one that we hold to be Satan. If you weren't with us, go back and you listen to last week's message, Ezekiel 28. We showed how I believe it is, was Satan who was in view there. If you look now here as Isaiah, remember, is prophesying and how everything comes back to God's discipline for violating the Mosaic Covenant and how Israel was being judged and he's bringing judgment upon not only Israel, 
but the world, Isaiah is writing before at first the Assyrian captivity in 722, and it goes on before the Babylonian captivity. Isaiah is writing before Babylon, about 150 years before Babylon will become a world power and then take over the world. And so people might be scratching their heads saying, why are you talking about Babylon in, which, in such significance? It's because even this was a prophecy. And as you come down to verse, let me see, we'll pick up verse 3. It will be in that day when the Lord gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh service in which you've been enslaved. He's trying to give comfort to Israel for the judgment he's bringing them. He says that you will take up a ta this taunt against the king of Babylon and say how the oppressor has, has ceased and how fury has ceased. So God is recognizing that the nations are going to be judged also for their sin. When you jump down to verse 11, it becomes evident that we are not just talking about an earthly king. And he says this, your pomp and the music of your harps have, brought, have been brought down from Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you and worms are your covering. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, star of the dawn. You've been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. Now remember, this is the passage, star of the morning, that in Latin is the word Lucifer. King James Bible translators didn't want to call Lucifer, Satan the star of the morning, a prominent position because they didn't want to give him any honor similar to the star reference to jesus in revelation 22 so they transliterated verse 12 oh lucifer and that's how people incorrectly think that satan has the name lucifer because in latin star of the morning means light light bearer so i just want to point this out that you have in view here the evil one. He's the one that's fallen from heaven. He's the one that is being described. But it's in verse 13 now that we get five statements that give us the insight to the pride of Satan. And here is where we as sinful human beings fear our association with him. Fear where we at times align ourselves in sinful patterns of life sinful understanding uh, sinful understandings and approaches to life how thankful we need to be for our sanctification and how we do not want to practice this anymore but here we come to an understanding of the depths of who satan is verse 13 but you said in your heart now remember ezekiel 28 told us about how great an angel he was how powerful he was he was the he was the one who covered he had a prominent position but now in his heart, Isaiah 14, verse 13, he said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But God says, nevertheless, you will be thrust down. Let me just quickly take you through these five. Number one, verse 13, I will ascend to heaven. Satan desired equal authority and recognition with the God of heaven. I will go up into heaven. I will be recognized. How we see that is so prideful. And the Shirley MacLaine's of the world are not just limited to one or two people. Often there is this thought, I could be like God. I am great. Verse 13b, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. The stars of God refer to the angels. 
angels were created to serve God. Satan, though, wanted his authority, this authority for himself. He wanted to usurp God's authority of the angels. So it's in Revelation 12 that we learn that he took a third of them with us, with him. It, it's in Ezekiel 28 that we see that he worked his trade amongst them to bring them to follow him. However, that worked its way out where he maneuvered the angels, which is inconceivable. But again, you have to remember when Satan was created, he was the greatest thing that was ever created. He was marvelous in his beauty, beautiful in his wisdom, incredible in his talent. It's believed that when verse 11 talks about his pomp and the music of his harps, that he was in charge of the angels in regards to their worship and the songs they gave to God. That is why in his fallen nature, it is often said theologically, we must always be leery of non-praise music. Because the reality of it is, is Satan does use songs that people love and that resonates within their hearts so they can sing a song about stairway to heaven and think that it's jamming cool. When the reality is, is they are nothing but affirming their own personal damnation. And unless they repent, they will take those stairs to hell. But they will not be up, they will be down. But it's amazing how secular music can be used in ways in which we watch today crowds of people just screaming about their hatred for God and their love for Satan, and they give their gestures. It's believed that Satan has used music in such a way because of his power. Third, I will, verse 13, I will sit on the mount of the assembly. Satan wanted to overthrow God's kingly rule over the universe. I will be the one who sits on the mount of the assembly. I will be king, is what Satan proclaimed. Fourth, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Clouds are often associated with God's glory in Scripture. Satan desired to have the glory that belonged only to God. Again, we look at the whole program of, of where the Antichrist declares himself to be God, and we believe, based on Revelation 13, that there's that holy trinity where you have Satan being, and like God the Father, where even though people will be worshiping the Antichrist who declared himself to be God, that ultimately it's all being deflected up towards Satan. Fifth, I will make myself like the Most High. This sums up what Satan's sin was. Satan wanted to be like God with all the glory, the honor, and the power that came with being God. You look at these, and you should come back to these, and you should recognize how fearful it is that, that sin is so twisted because Satan is there in the presence of God. He sees the holy created God who is and was and will always be. He sees this one that dwells in unapproachable light and he foolishly looks and says, I can be better. I deserve the praise. I deserve the foolishness. And how we as humans follow in his steps when we say, I'm arrogant. I'm prideful. I know better than God. I, should, I choose for my own life. This is why a study of Satan has some benefits for us as Christians. Because when we see the pattern of pride, we need to rebel from it and repent of it. Really, the reality of it is, is when you understand the opposite of pride is humility. It is the very essence of salvation. Let me just quickly take you to two passages and we'll quit. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 18. And I think it's fascinating because the very essence of one who comes to faith will do exactly the opposite of what happens 
through the mind of Satan. Gospel of Luke chapter 18. The parable of the um, Pharisee and the publican. Chapter 18 verse 9. Jesus is coming close to his death and he tells this parable and he says this. Verse 9, to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that they were good enough. That Remember, if you're right, you are, you are good and you are like God. And they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple and prayed, verse 10. One a Pharisee who would have been a very religious individual. And the other a tax collector, a person who was a traitor. Somebody who was uh, one who betrayed his people to take money from them, manipulate them. And give it to the Romans and keep some for himself. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, to, to me the sinner. This is the very essence of salvation. If you have never prayed this, then woe be to your soul this very day. If you mess up and you say, oh, I just messed up. I told a lie. I got caught in some type of sin. And maybe you feel a little remorse and a little sadness. That is not the repentance of the humble sinner. I mean, we see unbelievers get caught in sin all the time. But the reality of the true repentant is they come to the unbelievable recognition that they have offended an all-holy God and the flames of hell are all that they deserve. And, and, and I can't even look up to God. That is what this man says. God, be merciful to me to the sinner. And here, that attitude is the only attitude that will be blessed. Verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified, meaning Declared righteous, we understand, in God's sight because of his act where sin's righteousness was imputed, imp imputed to him. So verse 14, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the believer should get that. Those of you who don't get it, I tell you, may God open your eyes. If there's a sense of, oh my goodness, there's no way I'm going that low, then as you grip your heart and tighten and harden your heart, I tell you, you are just nailing the coffin the, and, and sending, writing the ticket to hell for yourself. You must understand the humility that is necessary to get yourself to heaven, if I can put it that way. James chapter 4, one other passage. James chapter 4, and this one ties it in even more. This, is, this needs to be understood, I believe, as a call. As James was writing the church, and he recognizes there are unbelievers amongst them. And he says this in chapter 4, James chapter 4, towards the end of your Bibles. He says this, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Then he comes up with this really harsh statement. You adulteresses, you unfaithful person is what he's saying. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So you make the choice. You're either with God or you're an enemy of God. Verse 5, or do you think that the Spirit speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which is made to dwell in us. I don't think that should be capitalized. I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. I think it's the, God has, God wants an intimate relationship with the Spirit of man. No different than in Genesis 6 when he tells, you know, talks about the, the Spirit of man will only be like 120 years during that time. He, he wants mankind's Spirit. He wants to have a relationship with him. But here's the kicker, verse 6. But God gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Now here, resist who? The devil. Because the devil's pride in his mentality is that which feeds into the arrogance, feeds into the pride, feeds into the self-sufficiency, feeds into the self-determination. I want what I want, when I want it, when I got it. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. You say, what devil? I just want what I want. I want to do what I want. I want to say what I want to say. I want to be what I want to be. I want to have things my way. And I surely don't want to start with God saying that there's a narrow way. Because I know I have, I have, I've been baptized as a kid. Or I've done good works. Or I have these relatives. And my grandparents were people who were, were good religious people. And they didn't believe in faith alone and Christ alone. I'm surely not going to submit to that because I recognize that I have to humble myself. And I'm not going to humble myself. Well, the reality is that is all a lie. And as we study the lives of Satan, all roads lead to heaven. I can be like God. I can determine what's right. Verse 7, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Humble yourself before God. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. And so today, that's what I tell you. Because if you continue down a path of arrogance, self-sufficiency, self-pride, then you are going down the path of destruction. All roads do not lead to God. Only one road it's through Jesus Christ. He paid it all. All to him I owe. You have to ask yourself, if you believe this so much that you too would go to the flames. I think when John Rogers was killed, they put green wood around him, so it took six hours to kill him. All through it, he kept singing praises to God. Never giving up, never giving up, never giving up. One of the people who was, who, who, um, one of the people who were being martyred, it was ironic, they threw a book on communion at him where it taught that communion was just a memorial service, thinking that this would add to the fire. And the reformer picked up the book and held it high and gave praise to God and then held it next to his breast because it taught the truth that salvation is by faith alone through Christ alone. Satan is prideful. Fill in the blank. You need to avoid being prideful yourself. We need to be. And the person that begins with humility lives with humility as a believer in Jesus Christ. My hope for you is to understand our theme. Satan is a roaring lion. He prowls around. He seeks to destroy. He is dangerous. 
He blinds the world's eyes. We're going to talk next week about his works. He is incredible. It's ongoing. He is not stopped. He is not dead. He is not an antiquated foe. He is alive and he is still out there. It is his very nature to destroy. And I leave you with this morning's newspaper article about the woman in Miami, the zookeeper who was killed. And there's an article this morning because the zookeeper was killed and it wasn't a lion, but it was a tiger. And the article said they still don't know why the tiger ate her. And I'm thinking, it's a tiger. Tigers eat people. I don't care how long. I, I, I read the article this morning and I said to myself, you've got to be kidding me. The tigers eat people. Lions eat people. Satan eats people. And until he's thrown into hell, he will continue to look for you. Believe it. He seeks people to devour. If you don't wake up tomorrow morning humbled reality that someone could come after you and chew you up or your children up, then you are walking into the same zoo where that lion is roaming free. Please, I beg you, be alert. Let's pray. Father, I don't know if someone will come to faith today. I just pray that there's an awareness that Satan is alive and, and very much powerful. And we respect him. But how I pray, God, the one that's in us who is greater will continue to alert us spiritually. Give us the strength to resist him. That, that humility that we're depending upon you and your ways will help us to make the decisions in the path that we have. But Father, if there's someone here today with a hard heart, I am asking so much that you melt it. I'm asking that you give, give light to the blind, sight to the blind. Those that are in darkness will come to faith. How I pray, God, that somebody right now will so fear their sin and the consequences of being aligned with Satan that they will come to faith. Please, Father, how we pray as a congregation that, that those who attend here will recognize the clarity of what the gospel is all about and how it's by faith alone in Christ alone. May we proclaim that message and may all believe. May we just see someone finally repent of their sins today, God, knowing that in a room this large, there has to be some who do not know you. I'm asking, God, that they enter the narrow gate, they go down the narrow path. May they today call out to you, crying out in humility, fearful of the judgment that is coming upon them, May they turn and say, I believe in Jesus. I repent of my sins and confess Jesus as Lord and believe in my heart that God raised them from the dead. God, help them to be saved from the fiery flames that come that are far worse than any earthly fire that we can imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.